Welcome to The Inside. This is the week Hollywood started to breathe again. Because after 25 James Bond movies released over the last 60 years, perhaps the most important James Bond film ever was released this week. In No Time to Die, Daniel Craig didn't have to just save the world. He was given the task of bringing millions of movie fans back into cinemas worldwide. And he's done it. No Time to Die has generated more than $300 million at the worldwide box office. Writing a wave of glowing reviews from critics, studio executives last week still worried that proof of vaccination requirements might affect attendance. Turns out, even that didn't stop fans. New York, where ticket buyers had to show their vaccination cards to see Bond, turned out to be the movie's biggest market. I'm Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is the co-host for this series, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic, and he joins us from Brussels, Belgium, where it's evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Well, Wim, uh, we've had some pretty terrific news at the box office in the last uh, week. No Time to Die, $320 million as of now. Biggest opening in history of any film in the Netherlands, fifth biggest of all time in London. What was your reaction to the movie? You know, it, it was stunning. It's always good because a movie like this, there's a lot of people having having critics or comments kind of thing, right? So you go in and you, you hear those things and then you make your own mind. I mean, for me, I felt it a stunning movie. I, I, I love Bond, right? I love the, all the different movies that were there. But this one, I think, was special, right? Um, there was, you know, an emotional kind of touch to this one, which I think was new, to be honest. So, so I really enjoyed it very much. And it was a true, true Bond story, which I think was, it was great. I saw it uh, at a premium Regal cinema and uh, there wasn't an empty seat. And it struck me that all throughout the film, you think I could never watch this at home and be happy. I'm so excited to see this on a big screen. And it was, you know, Laser projection, and and we'll we'll get into it because we've got a, a great guest. But it was directed by uh, Kerry Fukunaga, and here's what the BBC uh, said about it. This is not just another episode, but a film that has come to seem like the cultural and economic event of the decade. So we are proud in this program to have listeners around the world who either work in the movie industry or just love movies. And today, we've got a chance to take all of you on a journey behind the scenes with a senior member of the creative team behind this fantastic film. Jim, we are thrilled to welcome the cinematographer of No Time to Die, Linus Sangren. His stunning work has been praised for films including First Man, American Hustle, and Hundred Foot Journey. He won the Academy Awards for his work in La La Land. The critic Alex Lauder called our guests one of the secret weapons wielded by the Bond franchise this time. Welcome, Linus Sandgren. Thank you. Linus, first of all, congratulations, right? I enjoyed the film, like I just mentioned. It was absolutely a stunning treat, you know. Thanks for that. Thank you so much. It warms my heart, too, to hear you all loving um, watching it in the movie theater, because we certainly made it for the movie theaters. Um, Both me and Carrie were are both avid cinema lovers and the the way we think about the experience of watching the film is all through a big screen. You know, when when COVID hit, there was a fair amount of speculation on whether the film might be going up and going to streaming platform, right? When you see the movie, you you can't imagine that it would come at home first, right? Um, How do you bring the, the cinematic 
the cinema experience, right? How do you bring yeah. that to the creative and the technical uh, filmmaking process? Oh, it's really important to decide if it's going to be in the cinema or on a on a screen. I think because if I shoot something that only goes, I know is going to go to a TV or an iPad. I could definitely make choices when it comes to um, any kind of uh, composition, especially uh, because if you sit in a movie theater and it, you want to shoot a close-up, you would make decisions differently from if it's just on a small TV. So definitely important to think of when you do the film and the motion. But I think to me, it's just so natural that when you make films that you think about it for the cinema and, and for that experience, because same with like when I do color grading, I, I also want sound because when you, I just thought about that now because sometimes you can sit and you look at images, but the image is not everything. The, the audio is so important in the cinema too. And if you have great audio, you may actually want to obscure the images or like make it really dark. You can't see everything and instead you hear. So you want to play with the sound with your vision as well. I see. Okay. So you have been quoted as saying that uh, you began your journey wanting to reveal the soul of Bond and bring in a romantic action and still stay connected to reality. How do you approach a conversation like this, like with, with the directors or with the creators? How do you go about that? Yeah, you have to think about <clears throat> what that means <laughs> for yourself and for others and communicate it with others. And hopefully, you know, if making a film is a, really a, a group effort. You know, it's like very much a, a collaboration. In, in my position uh, as a cinematographer, I, my, my sort of partners under the director would be the production designer who designs the sets and the set decorator who de decorates the sets and costume designers. And you have to work together about this idea that you have to obviously agree on, you know, be between yourselves. But when, when I had my initial discussions with Carrie, he mentioned these things, you know, like we, our first discussion was around this. For, for him and me, I think we both had a very similar thought of bringing back sort of the, or bringing in the, an adventurous romantic action. Like if you ground it in reality, you use the tools of realism when you do your sort of heightened reality. Instead of starting from sort of an artificial point of view, you start from reality and you perhaps pick the perfect moment for this scene should be in twilight because nights are black but twilight is actually beautiful it's like a beautiful moment and it would be more of a sort of a romantic setting in twilight so we paid a lot of attention to this for various scenes or for every scene i heard, I heard you have said that your first decision on a project like this is what's the film format right and the second one is is what kind of lenses would i use so how do you work with the director to make those decisions? And how did the decision came across to shoot on film, right? And was shooting on film for No Time to Die, how, how did it work out? The capturing format for me, like the film, the, the format that your camera is in, my point of it is that it's, it's a tool, just like when you're painting. And if you are a painter, you choose between acrylic or, or, or oil or charcoal, right? And, you should just use whatever format is best for you to express or to create the images. And I think Bond movies has been shot on film. There's one film shot digitally, but most films have been shot on film. Anamorphic 35, uh, to me, feels like the most sort of appropriate format for a romantic action film, like a, a film that 
is an action film. It's, it's wide scope. And capturing on film, it reacts to color temperatures much more strong than digital cameras do. And what it gives me is that I, I like to work with color temperatures a lot. And, and when I shoot and I get the dailies back, which are scanned digitally, right? And they come back digitally. They still have been captured on that celluloid that suddenly sees colors that I didn't see with the eyes and it enhances them. And then when they come back, I know by my experience from being a cinematographer for 20 years now that it will come back in a certain way. But when I get it back from the lab, it still looks a little different and a little better. It's beautiful. Linus, you make, you shoot this to be shown in beautiful color with all the subtle tones onto a big screen. You talk about the power of sound. Wim, your team <laughs> is taking the work that Carrie and Linus are doing and making sure that they go on to a big screen. Talk about how you like to see it projected once you're in a cinema. I mean, I do love watching prints, uh, I must say, <laughs> too, actually, because it's it, it enhances the colors. It still enhances the colors a little more. And then when I saw Bond, I saw Bond in laser, and I must say I was stunned by how beautiful it looks. It's like the blacks are black, the colors are there. And I'm also curious, I mean, you guys know this more than I, I think, but I'm curious to see as well how far things have gone in, in terms of like Rec 2020, where I assume like more, even more colors will be prominent in those projections. Wim, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, we, um, you, you spot on, the, I think, Elinus. REC 2020 is coming, right? We have some systems which get very, very close. And I think the next couple of years, you're yeah. going to see more of that coming, you know, what we call HDR, right? But today we have, to your question there, Jim, we have around, let's say, close to 30,000, let's say, laser projectors out there, right? I think probably on, in the world, um, if you look at it, let's say 180,000 screens, right? So there is a... It starts being significant, the amount of laser projection which is out there, and it increasing mm. every day, right? So I think this is definitely the direction to go. Yes, we can do more. We can get closer to REC 2020, right? With laser, absolutely. The more vivid colors, um, the better contrast you mentioned, the, the, the darker blacks. Those are the things we definitely can do and really looking forward and to get really, you know, the, the art you are making uh, to, to get it in, in the best way possible on the big screen, right? That's really what, what we're all about. No, it's always evolving. And I, I must say that late, later years as well, when it comes to scanning, you know, like, as I mentioned, with shooting on film, like, even if it's going to a digital format, I think uh, it, it's the same, some, like with lighting, like it depends on how you light it or how you capture it. But when you capture it on film and later, the scanners have become much better as well in, in resolution and in, in color. And so that is a big deal as well, of course, as well, where, where the format's going to live in its, in its sort of raw file in, in the digital and before it goes to a projection as well. But um, We'd yeah. love to geek out here and ask you about a yeah. few specific scenes. Uh, there are many to, to note, like any James Bond movie. But in the first part of the movie, there is a scene in the Italian town of Matera. There's an amazing chase in the streets of this village on the side of a mountain very narrow streets. How do you manage to set up and then shoot the kind of scene to maximize the excitement in that kind of a, an environment, in a tight space like that? Yeah, it's kind of a, actually an insane mission. I feel like throughout the film, we we put up we had high ambitions for, for, for most of this film. But in, in that case, 
It was great because it's both a really romantic town for the beginning of that sequence. And that was important. And then it was important that it was also like a really brutal town. If you have an action sequence in there, it should feel really hard to hit those walls. And it, it would. <laughs> so the the problem, though, is like mainly logistical, you know, the, the, partly logistical, but also that the idea of what was going to happen to him was worked out with stunts and special effects and discussions back and forth, lots of scouts uh, looking at what buildings are there, what, what opportunities do we have. And as the story uh, sort of evolves, Kerry always was very keen, as we talked about, to make everything grounded in reality and things that actually can be done for real. So all those stunts you see there too, like the jump or the motorcycle stunt actually happened in the village. Those, those scenes were designed and then you, you started to think about how can we actually shoot this in order to make it look exciting as well. And it's a combination also there of like, we pre-visualize things that would previous or we try different angles when they're scouting and we look at also physical models of the town or of things in order to see where it could be interesting angles. But you need to go back to like, who is experiencing this? It's Bond that experiences this. So you kind of wanted to be very intimate with him in this because this was like coming from nowhere and suddenly he's in an action sequence. So we wanted to feel very intensely intimate with him and running with him physically, being with him very close as well. There's a great sense in this in this film that that you're intimate with James Bond when when yeah. there's an explosion and he's thrown to the ground. We lose our hearing as he loses his yeah. hearing, right? And right. the close-up of him and the shards on his face, uh, yeah. every nick and scratch. That is the topic that we absolutely want to go to next. But let's take a break sure. and we'll come back and ask you more about that. Our guest today is cinematographer Linus Sandgren. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced services and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 95,000 projectors installed globally, cinemas around the world trust laser projection by Cineonic to power the next generation of moviegoing. Visit Cineonic.com today and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Our insider this week is Linus Sandgren. Linus, the next scene we'd love to ask you about takes place on a sinking ship where James and his CIA colleague, Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright, are underwater and in great distress. Won't go into detail. For those of us who haven't seen the film, go see it. It's an emotional scene that I won't give away. You worked with the team to shoot this in a specially built water tank at Pinewood Studios in London to the point we were just talking about. It's incredibly, you can feel the sense of distress. It's a very intimate kind of claustrophobic almost feeling. Take us behind the scenes of making that scene work as both suspenseful yeah. and it was emotional, right? Yeah, the, the scene itself obviously is um, intense. It's, it's, it's sort of the end of the Cuba sequence, which has already been a big action sequence. And you come out to that uh, ship and they get thrown into the down in the in the machine room and and as the ship is sinking and creating tension that way obviously we're we wanted to be handheld in there to again uh, follow the emotions of the story that's the beauty of of these bond movies is that 
they put a lot of um, effort to building these incredible intricate smart rigs that like in this case was four pillars a huge uh, hydraulic system uh, in this big pool and had a sort of a rotisserie rig kind of setup that could sink and put the set all underwater and rotate in any direction and and program that so that we all descend underwater so were you underwater with them with the handheld yes yeah, so with the crew yeah so i didn't operate on this movie so i had operators right but uh, we were all in there together and um wow uh, with them but uh, yeah it, it was um, so the actors were the only ones feeling distress you were actually going through the tension as well yeah but then it is like when you're on a set and you know it's all safe and you have like uh, you know octopus regulators and and escape routes uh, it doesn't really you know it's different when you look from behind the camera I, i'm right. almost never feeling even if you're on a car driving fast and you're operating and and you're in the action because you look at the movie you you sort of you you don't realize you're in reality you know yeah 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 well uh the other scene that comes to mind is a moment where bond is fighting in a stairway oh yeah through a rain of bullets and hand grenades, the audience I saw it with responded like they were being shot at. Yeah, um, good. <laughs> uh, well, oh, it worked. Uh, how did you create these moments that makes the few reveal that the the moment is visceral? You can feel it. Yeah. Talk about that. I like that you bring up these moments that are handheld because that is, I think, part of it. And part of it is we had a similar approach in La La Land actually to make people feel like you were really there and we like to not cut the camera. And in this case, this would be his sort of, he's walking up this staircase and it's kind of symbolic too, both with the lighting being a sunset and with the staircase being sort of walking up for some sort of final battle. And um, we thought that it's time to like really feel in a film like this, it's so nice to feel what Bond feels and to be there with him on this journey and and really intimately feeling the same things he feels so being shot at trying to get up that staircase is so tough and the planning of that was like we decided to have a certain amount of floors for the screen time basically uh, how many floors do we need to ascend till the scene is too long <laughs> and then then we tried to design it in such a way it was kind of hard actually to create that scene because we wanted it to be a oneer and when you move a camera team with the with a character, it's a camera and it's an operator, but it's also a focus puller and a sound man usually. But I think we skipped the sound man for this. So there was at least two more people in there creating shadows and stuff. So it's, especially when you walk around him, we had to sort of design the shot in such a way that we didn't create shadows. And at the same time, got all those squibs that were programmed in there together with the stuntman shooting all had to be rehearsed uh, for a while and we had to alter the lighting a little bit to accommodate, you know, that fact that we couldn't put a light there because it's going to create shadows. So it was sort of a puzzle a little bit, which I, I love to do that. I love, love scenes that are a bit of a puzzle because you have both um, sort of what you want to do and then you have the problem, then it becomes a problem and then it's the problem solving. And I'm, I'm very much into that in general, just problem solving well, I'd love to ask you about La La Land, uh, one of my favorite movies directed by Damien Chazelle. I saw it at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood on a giant screen. The audience loved this movie and applauded when the musical numbers were over, like a live theater. You'd have thought you were in a live theater. Mm. We were watching a movie. You shot it in classic CinemaScope format 
What was your thinking on that? You know, I think for every film I do, uh, I, I want to have a reason for why I choose the format. And like you said before, like with the, the, the choices of lenses and everything. And then even like if we push process or pull process and you build a language for the film with the director, obviously, and for, for the cinema scope, that was, we wanted to shoot two for O or Damien really wanted to shoot two for O like anamorphic 35 for being able to do those ensemble shots where you have a lot of dancers in the wide scope in a wide screen. And it's really for cinema. Right. But then um, we thought of it and it's like, yeah, but why, Actually, we have shot in 2.4.0 for a long time because of the soundtrack, but there's actually the Super 35 format is wider. Um, there's more image to, to get if we want to. We could actually go back to the 2.5.5 CinemaScope format instead uh, and do it as an ode to the CinemaScope and, and the, the classic format. You, you, you won the Academy Award for La La Land, and uh, I'm dying to ask you, you're in the audience... What's it like when they call out your name? That is almost like a black, um, <laughs> I have no, almost no memory. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly worried to forget to thank someone. You know, it's like, it's so much focus on that. I'm not used to be on a stage. So uh, I think that that is the, um, the initial thought. It's like terror. <laughs> well, let's ask you, the, the next film with Damien was First Man. It was your second film with him and also with Ryan Gosling playing astronaut Neil Armstrong. That film was shot yeah. in an almost documentary style, as I recall. And I remember yeah. feeling claustrophobic in the space cap uh, capsule. And I vividly remember the sound and the banging noises. Mm -hmm. But you were able to create what it must have felt like for Neil Armstrong to go into space mounted on this exploding rocket ship, right? That, that yeah. put him into orbit. Um, that had a feel to it that was distinct from from yeah. other films. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah, and that that was Damien just said that um, when he wanted to do this film that he he thought about it like um, filmmakers uh, with eight tons and, and a sixty millimeter eight ton cameras with zooms, and uh, you would just follow these people as if it's a, a kitchen realism film. They're just living their normal lives. They're normal people. And they just happen to work at NASA and go to space, but they're like normal people, have normal feelings, and you're with them, very much inspired by the documentary footage that exists from this time. As well, their own photography inside the capsules and from the moon. And where the moon footage is like uh, shot on Hasselblad cameras in six by six uh, centimeter negatives, uh, pristine, beautiful, you see like so clearly the images, but you always want to be emotional with the cinematography. That's, that's the best way to approach it. And the emotions was that in, intimacy for us in that film, when we thought about it, it was 16 millimeter. It feels so natural and, and poetic and intimate and, and human somehow. It's like 16 millimeter. So we wanted to shoot Universal produce that film, you know, and it was a good budget. So they were wondering why we don't want to shoot 35. <laughs> We're on a sharper format, but... Well, Kerry said it was it was the visceral work that he observed you do in First Man that made him think of you for Bond. Is there a style? I think of La La Land. I think of uh, Promised Land. I think of No Time to Die. There are these combinations of both emotion and intimacy. 
and and then light in color. Is is there a, a Lena Sundgren style? I, I think about that too, how that works. I think it works, you know, I try to think about my work as a reaction to the director's vision and the script. And sometimes it's the same. And then I have my reaction to the script and then I sort of obviously adapt my taste, I guess, and my approach. And my approach would be, I usually ask the, act, the director always to trying to find a few words that this film stands for. It could be grief. Okay, great, grief, great. What, what does grief look like? Um, what else? Uh, death, okay, what does that, you know, for first man, for Bond, um, it was a lot of melancholy. There's different words that connect to different storylines or different, what, it could be whatever, but we just collect a bunch of words. To me, that is the best way to start a film. And then those words will sort of visualize in my mind. <laughs> but um, oftentimes I think though that if you, you have a language for the film and then you, I guess my approach obviously affects how the movie looks like. And I would try to think that I do change looks, you know, but yeah, it's there's a, th- always there's a the through, sort of my taste, I guess. There's something about your films. Yeah. Wim, um, how do you feel about... Uh, their passion for projecting the best possible image and getting that into cinemas. No, you know, it is you're a big part of this, right? Well, you know, it's fantastic to hear, right? It's fantastic to hear Linus explaining how he, you know, makes those shots and make those calls and, and look at the, the lightings and, and, and get the colors uh, right or, you know, and deals with the shadows. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of things when we think about projection, you know, we, we think, of course, we're not the creatives, absolutely not. But we think about the technology which should allow all of that to be visible kind of thing, right? So so it's really enjoyable to hear that because we're building technology which we do believe is getting very, very close, right, to, to really what, what the reality is there, what you wanted to show, yeah. uh, the story you wanted to bring. And so hearing that passion, I mean, gives me a lot of joy because then we know what we're doing it for. And I do understand that that uh, the general audience probably will, will see part of that, right, because... You need to have golden eyes to see several of that, but yeah. but that's good enough, right? I think it's it's the storyline which is important, but but it's a true passion. It's and I I think we 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 probably share that within the industry, and and it's uh, lovely to hear. You know, with a projection in mind, I mean, we do so many versions too, and so we obviously adapt. When I grade the film, I'm in DCP, right, and like 2K or maybe 4K sometimes, but. And then we grade for that, but then we adapt then the laser. This is the laser version. That's the Dolby Vision version. That's the IMAX version. And we sort of adapt. So we're happy with all the versions. And even the, I mean, the normal DCP in a good theater when the, the seats are not, or they haven't illuminated the <laughs> theater like they did on Hunter for Journey for us on the premiere in London. It was like the ceiling was lit. So the whole screen was gray. Okay. It's just those kind of things you're sensitive to, but a great uh, normal projector is also great, I think. It's just the experience Absolutely. in the movie theater is great. Yeah. So it's more like, oh, and then this this cinema has like a silver screen because they they do 3D or whatever as well, and then you feel like it's a compromise. But in the perfect presentations, all these formats Absolutely. work, yeah. I think. It's, but it would be cool if, if they started to scan with like higher mm. color yeah. depth. Or, it has to do with data, right? It's like, how much data can we can we send across right, 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 the yeah. cable? No, but that's right. The more data we get, the more we can, of course, you know, use uh, on the projection side. So, so, but I think it, it's it's going to evolve, and and it's great to hear that yeah. that you you're optimizing all those different yeah. formats, right? Which is uh, which is fantastic for the audiences enjoying that. So, yeah. Linus, uh, this is a fantastic uh, movie. 
but I have to say all of your movies are notable and enjoyable and thrilling and visceral and uh, emotional. So thank you for what you do for our industry. Uh, You make going to the movies a joy and thrilling. And so thank you so much for coming on and sharing your perspectives today. Thank you, Linus. Thank you. Thank you both. And thank you for your hard work for the cinemas. That's really appreciated. Thank you. And thank you, Wim. Our quote of the day comes from the Wall Street Journal reviewer, Joel Morgenstern, who finished his review of No Time to Die with a salute to the actor. He said, in his final and majestic appearance, Mr. Craig opens the gaunt, gallant operative to the possibility of new love and a brighter future. Bond's next incarnation, whoever he or she may be, will have a big heart as well as big shoes to fill. Thank you, Linus. Thank Thank you, you, Wim. And thank Thank you all for listening. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.